Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Thanks to GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to another big edition of the First Serve on this uh, Monday. We've ticked over to the 24th of October. Brett Phillips in the chair tonight. Always plenty to get through in the world of tennis. one 736 736 So we can get us on the Tennis Direct text tonight. 0433 Australia's number one online tennis store. You can go shopping or you listen tonight. TennisDirect.com.au. Uh, use that little discount code FIRSTSERVE10 wherever you are around Australia. It'll be delivered to your front door. Fast delivery, great prices. Get on board, tennisdirector.com.au. We start uh, tonight's show with our winners of the past week. Let's have a listen to our winner's roll. It's in. And he is the champion here in Naples. He is a special talent and he played some special tennis here this afternoon. Berrettini, yes, lame certainly right at the end, and maybe for most of that second set, he gave it all he could, but Musetti was too good. Fantastic, Felix Auger Aliassi, the champion in Florence last week, is the champion in Antwerp this week. It's the third title of the year for the Canadian. A remarkable performance from a young man who is going somewhere very fast indeed a second ATP tour title the better man on the day one an incredible performance he wasn't broken in a straight sets victory over the world number five it's Holger Runa in one hour 31 and it is a second title for Jessica Pagula and with it go all the spoils a new career high ranking at number three in the world. And a WTA 1000 title. Uh, indeed, I can't believe Jessica Pagula is the world uh, number three. Uh, they're all a fair way behind Igish Fiontek at the moment on the women's side, but she is the world number three. Let's whip around. Uh, thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education right across the globe. They've got courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed, if you don't mind, inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. Lorenzo Musetti with that beautiful single-handed back He's 23 in the world. He's on the right trajectory. They've done a lot right Italian tennis in the last uh, couple of years. He beats his fellow countrymen there in Naples. How about the backdrop? Uh, One-off licence for the uh, Napoli Cup. And it was uh, the beautiful uh, Mediterranean in the background. Uh, He's third in the race to Milan in the next gen. He'll qualify there, 20 years of age. He beats Matteo Berrettini, 7-6-6-2. As far as uh, the European Open in Antwerp, well... He went 0-9 up until this year. The Canadian, Felix Auger-Aliassime, with Tony Nadal, of course, added to the coaching team. He's now won his uh, third title. We know he's always had the talent. He's a legitimate member of the top 10. Felix, solid technically, uh, three and four. Back-to-back titles. Florence last week, he wins in Belgium over the weekend, defeating Sebastian Corda. So he's seventh in the race to Turin for the ATP finals. We know Djokovic already gets in having... 
uh, won a major uh, this year. So he's 340 points ahead of Taylor Fritz. And we've still got uh, Basel and Paris to play over the next couple of weeks to shore up his spot. So it's going to come down to probably Felix or Fritz uh, for that uh, last spot. But he was uh, very good to win that tournament. And Holger Rune, well, we know the talent of this young man from uh, Denmark who uh, made his name, of course, at uh, uh, Roland Garros earlier this year. He's a seventh seed, second to a level title. He's bouncing around everywhere. He's got boundless energy. And he just opened up the shoulders beautifully. Uh, 20 winners to see off the top seed, uh, Stefanos uh, Tsitsipas. And then, of course, Rune got past Alex Dimonor in the semi-finals. They had a great tussle, 4-6-7-6-7-5. And would you believe it, Dimonor and Rune play each other first round in Basel uh, this week. So it's a tough draw uh, for both players. But a 19-year-old, along with Felix Auger, Aliasim and Lorenzo Musetti, the next generation, all winning titles across the weekend. As you heard, um, the WTA 1000 in Guadalajara in Mexico was the feature event on the WTA Tour in the last week. And Jessica Pagula, we know she's made more quarterfinals than any other female player in the last two years. So there's been uh, very consistent results. Uh, but her first WTA 1000 title, second title of her career. So third most match wins this year. We know Eager leads the pack with 62 on Jabir with 46 and uh, Jessica Bagula with 41. She beats Maria Sakari, who didn't hold her nerve down the stretch of that final. And a special shout-out today for Storm Sanders, who soon will become Storm Hunter. Let's have a listen to Stormy because uh, her first WTA 1000, she's inside the top 10, the lefty from uh, WA, inside the top 10 of women's Doubles tennis for the very first time, and you couldn't wipe the smile off her face. I'd like to thank uh, my team back home in Australia and my family. Um, I love you guys very much, and I can't wait to get home soon. And I'm getting married in three weeks, so can't wait. <laughs> so I'm very excited to get home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, indeed. Uh, I think all the Aussies like to. Uh, get home when they've been on the road for so many weeks. But Storm has put together an incredible year. Mixed doubles champion at the US Open, now winning a WTA 1000. She's getting married. She's nine in the world, and uh, she is on a, a real a real high at the moment. I was up watching Bernard Tomic uh, today. I know Tomic still polarises. We put a post on our socials, and uh, people still go to town on Bernie. You'll probably never forgive him. Uh, but he's doing some yards, and He's got no choice, basically, at 30 years of age than just to roll up the sleeves and play. And, uh, well, he you know, was, had a, was a break-up in the final. was looking for 15 straight wins on the ITF Tour today, but uh, lost the last four games there. And a, a very windy day in Texas to Martin Dam Jr., uh, the 19-year-old, who was able to prevail with 14 of his last 15. Uh, let's see what Bernard is prepared to continue to do to uh, climb the rankings. And Olivia Chandramulia over the weekend, her 10th ITF doubles title uh, winning the 60K in Canada. If you haven't seen the match point of Max Purcell and Mark Polmans, get a look at our socials, whether you follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. One of the best match points that I've seen for Max. And great to see Mark back after six months out, working his tail off. He made the quarterfinals in the singles. He wins the doubles with Max uh, in Busan in uh, Korea. Uh, where Sam Groth, of course, um, registered the fastest ever recorded serve many years ago, 263 clicks. Well, that's what the gun said. That's what Grothy's been selling us uh, for years. Uh, but well done uh, to uh, Polmans and Purcell. Chris O'Connell back to an even 100 in the rankings, making the semi-finals 
on the single side. So that is a bit of a wrap of everything that has been going on in this past week, all thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's a little mini Melbourne park out in Melbourne's north. It's got tennis for everyone. Perfect also for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete very close to Melbourne Airport. Accommodation around the corner. Find out more at humetennis.com.au. We'll get an early break away because coming up next, a very experienced coach and a very passionate parent to join me in a fireside chat about the state of Australian tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Always great to have your company on this uh, Monday night as we try and fit the world of tennis into an hour. Make sure you check out thefirstserve.com.au and all our socials uh, right across uh, the week with our finger on the pulse of everything Australian and international tennis. Billy's uh, out in Ascot Vale. Billy, great to have you on the show. Yeah, good evening, BP. Good to have a chat again. Uh, just just quickly, uh, just a few uh, points I just wanted to... Uh, ask about the tennis, your opinions. Um, first of all, I'm sad to hear about the accusations about Halep over the weekend. And secondly, Nadal's injured and we know Federer's not coming. And if Dokovic doesn't get accepted back in the country regarding the vaccine status, is that going to affect the Australian Open too much draw card? Because I think players like Alcaraz and Casparada are definitely players who can draw big crowds and they're the young ones definitely coming up. And thirdly, Kyrgios. If he's going to miss all his tournaments coming up now because this knee issue that he said he had, do you think it's going to damage his chances of sort of the Australian Open or do you think it's still too far away to predict that? So on Nick, I believe the Davis Cup team gets announced uh, overnight tonight into the early hours of tomorrow. Now, I was with the team manager of the Australian Davis Cup team who was telling me absolutely nothing uh, last week. If we are to win the Davis Cup, if we're serious about winning the Davis Cup, Kyrgios has to play, but I, I don't know if the passion is there to play right now, right at the back end of the season. He and Thanasi uh, could qualify for the ATP finals. I, I'd suspect they're going to go there as the Australian Open champions. We'll have to wait and see, but I mean, Nick's always done it his way, and he's one that can have all these, this time off and just sort of pick the racket up and, and go you know, with, with little uh, prep, can't he? Although I think he's improved a lot in the attention to detail of his prep. Uh, Nadal, I would suspect, will get here, uh, but I think tennis has shifted, hasn't it? Look at look at look at the names. I just mentioned the winners from the weekend. I mean, the Australian Open, regardless, is going to be packed to capacity. Uh, it'll be heaving. So we've got the world number one, Carlos Alcaraz, and that's enough to draw, I think, plenty of people through the gates. Uh, yeah, Simona Halep. Look, it's an unfortunate situation. I know everyone's gone in to defend her today. Uh, Darren Cale, who coached her for uh, you know the the best part of her career, uh, called her the most. Uh, Honourable person, even uh, Samantha's ex-husband uh, weighed in today to say that you know, she was a person of great honour, uh, provision- provisionally suspended at the moment. So we'll wait and see uh, where that goes. Uh, thank you, Billy. I appreciate your call. I want to welcome into the studio an experienced coach who is uh, active for those. Depends what generation you are uh, listening to the show tonight on the professional tour back in the 80s. Um, I have to get this out because I always get asked about the surname. So, yes, a relative of basketballer Matthew Delavadova is a first cousin of Matthew's father, also is a son, Matthew, who's a professional tennis player, 22 years of age, who's had his best year on tour, approaching 50 match wins. He's cut his ranking from about 1,500-odd down inside the top 600, a couple of finals, and we're hoping Matt, maybe third time lucky, can win 
his first ITF singles title. He's a TA qualified registered advanced coach. He's the head coach at Wonga Park Tennis Club, beautiful part of uh, Melbourne out in the Easter since uh, the 90s. Peter Delavadova, we've had a few off-air conversations. In fact, with Pete, we had you on the show on the phone uh, probably a couple of years ago. It's great to have you in the studio. Yeah, thank you very much for the invite. Brett, and uh, yeah, we have spoke a couple of times and it is nice to get into this studio and get a chance to have a chat. There's a bit to cover and we're always scratching for time, but just to uh, paint that picture of your son, because we talk about all levels of the tour, the ITF, uh, the, the grounding tour, the entry to you know, get started in this sport. And you know, Matt has spent the large chunk of this year, uh, Pete, overseas. That comes at a cost. Yeah, it does, Brett. He'd, he'd left Australia um, just after the Futures in uh, here in uh, Bendigo. And uh, he's pretty much been overseas playing every single week since uh, the end of April. And uh, I got a chance to go overseas and see him for a couple of weeks this year. And then he's, uh, at the moment, he's playing in Greece. And uh, look, we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago about when he was coming back. He was really desperate to get back for the for the challenges in Playford. But unfortunately, when we're making that decision, the, the airfares, the return airfares become insane to be able to get back to Australia. So we had to make the, the difficult decision to to basically stay there and he will, he'll stay on the um, on the tour and try to improve his ranking as much as possible. So, Pete, the big talking point in tennis, uh, the common consensus is unless you are in that top 100 or maybe even, let, let's say, round about the 100 mark, it's tough to make it in this sport. It's tough to get ahead of the ledger, ahead of breaker even. You're effectively your own business, taking your risks, going on the road. You've got your expenditure, you've got your income. We know down to that ITF level, unless you're winning ITF after ITF after ITF, you're losing matches, but you're also losing in your hip pocket. I don't know, I don't know how much you're prepared to share tonight, but just to give our yeah. listeners some understanding of what it takes for a, your son to actually be on the road. Well, Brett, that's it's a tough one because when the when the kids grow up, you know they dream of being professional tennis players, and um, you you know you you want to allow them to chase their dreams. Um, when Matt picked up his first point as a sixteen year old, he sort of thought, okay, off off we go. It's difficult because the there's three tiers of professional tennis, and pretty much from best in the world to 100, you're playing the ATP tour. From 100 to about 250, you're playing the Challenger tour, and you yep. can make some money in that. And you really don't break even in playing professional tennis until you're around about the 330. That means that if 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 you're anything outside 330 in the world, your parents or sponsors are looking at it, and so pretty much it's it's by the parents. So it's a, it's when you think of the number, the number like there's there's from say for example from 250 in the world to about 2600 that have got ATP points just in the men. Mm. And um, and to make that top three thirty before you even make a cent, it, it's it's a it's a grind. So there's no doubt at all. They all work very hard. Um, I'm always in awe of how resilient they are. I know so many players in Australia that have just hung in there, hung in their their dream, and um, while they're playing this ITF, just desperate to be able to get out of the ITF and into the um, into the Challenger Tour. But it is tough. It is very, very tough. And unfortunately, you have to spend long time away. And um, and unlike other countries where you might be able to pop home after every couple of weeks and maybe go and see a coach and see family, yep. we can't top that up because we're too far. 
We'll get into that a little bit further. Alongside you tonight is uh, Brian Hamill, the father of aspiring tennis player, Zach, who I've you know, seen hit, courtesy of Brian sending me uh, some great footage out there at Wonga Park with yourself, uh, Pete, um, to share his experiences as a father, as a spectator. Brian and I have had some dialogue over the last month. Brian's also had some dialogue with uh, Tennis Australia and some of the key people there, but really appreciate you coming in, Brian. I know you're, you're very passionate about the sport and very passionate as any father would be about their son and what he's trying to aspire to be. Thanks, Brett. Nice. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you here. I mean, there's a little bit to unpack. Um, and I think all the information you sent me pre-show, I'd love to try and get through that um, as succinctly as we can, but to get some strong messages across uh, tonight. But you've come in, I suppose, as a as a parent, uh, not a history in tennis, um, you know, coaching and playing and all that sort of thing. You're, you're, you're an observer, you're a businessman, you manage your own uh, business, so you're seeing it from a few different uh, lenses. But take us through, Zach, coming into uh, a tennis club, you're a parent, you're observing. I think your wife, as you mentioned, is heavily yep. involved in the organisation of, uh, you know, the tournaments on Saturday. What have yep. been your observations of junior tennis? and uh, yeah, Junior tennis, run? well, when I was a kid, I, I used to really love junior tennis. I played it as a kid and there used to be a lot of social events and I found people in the club, they used to all get along. Everyone used to, you know, know their place. Whereas I find um, clubs these days, parents are taking over and they're, um, they're having too much say. They're, they're, they believe they're more entitled to what they are. Like these people that are running clubs are volunteers, whereas parents, they come on to the court and they tell Pete what he should be doing wrong, uh, what he's doing wrong. They tell, you know, my wife what, what she's doing wrong. And I think um, they just need to back up and just relax and let kids play tennis. And um, at the end of the day, it's junior tennis. When they're not, not going to be here to, you know, break any records. They're here to just have fun. But they've got their parents, you know, peering over the fence because you know they don't want to put too much pressure on the kid and it's just um i find tennis clubs these days are not as fun as they used to be and i think it's mainly because clubs have to deal with parents rather than just dealing with being a club so clubs should be able to enjoy social events club championships you know discos all that kind of social thing whereas they're all tied up worrying about who they're offending who they're trying to stick up for and i just think parents should just back up a little bit so, Pete, when you hear down. that, when you hear that as a person that's been coaching for what thirty, forty years, and yep. you know, having played, um, Pete needs a statue. <laughs> he really does. I, it, I honestly don't know how he does it. So, you, you've seen the evolvement over a long period. Just the uh, the vibe of a tennis club. When yep. you hear that, what do you think? It's so true. I, I think I think the business of tennis is doing really well. The business that means us coaches out there that run businesses. The the tennis Australia as a business is doing really well. But like Brian said, I do believe that there has been a real shift away from people actually enjoying and just playing tennis for the love of it. There are a lot less people now that just go down to the club and want to have a hit. More people will want to sort of organise a lesson and are more interested and parents are more interested in how many lessons someone else is having um, rather than just the love of the game. So I have noticed that. I've noticed that... Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be involved in the Australian Open a couple of times at Kuyong. And uh, mm. my parents, I remember they said, oh, listen, good luck. Let, let us know how you go. And, uh, you know, they were busy on the farm and they didn't even, it, it was something that was just, it was your own journey. And now, of course, the, the parents are a lot more involved. And some of it's healthy and some of it's not so healthy. And that's what I've noticed. It's 
that's what makes coaching, and particularly if you coach high performance, it's it's a lot more difficult. And, and you know the numbers. Yep. How tough it is in this global sport uh, to make it. And, I mean, if we got 100 people in this room, there'd be all sorts of opinions uh, coming in about the pathway. Uh, you know, what is the right way to develop players? I mean, we call it the sport for life because as long as you're vertical and you've got your health, you can play to your 90 out on the court. And there's few that make it in the pro space. And trying to, be that, trying to convey that to players, parents who obviously love the sport, yep. but trying to sort of give the, a realistic view of the pathway because it's tough. It, it really is. And um, I suppose what happens is that the, the marketing machine, I mean, we're, we're in Australia and we have we are one of four countries that have a major. I just think sometimes that that is just such an honour to have. We sometimes I look at the history and how lucky players my age were that we had the players like the the Lavers and the Ken Rosewell. I remember warming up Ken Rosewell for matches at the Australian Open at Kooyong. We had we had players like Tony Roach and Neil Fraser that we could actually talk to. I, my friend and I, we went up to it and stayed at um, Mel Anderson's house and they were great mentors. And, um, and I, I do feel now that what's happened is the, the – Tennis has changed globally so much that the chances of making a professional tennis player, it's, it's, it's tough. It really is tough. And as juniors and the, and the circuit that we have for the, the young juniors, particularly very early, I think the marketing and getting players in um, with hot shots and that, I think that TA and everybody and coaches do a fantastic job and i think at the top end we are very strong and that is through the australian open anyone who is pretty much from 200 onwards i think ta and australia do that very well all right i want to come back after the break and really get into the pro space because you're you're involved there uh brian i know you've got some strong opinions about the pro space and where we're heading the play development um situation how many tournaments in australia how are we developing kids here to give them the best chance of being a professional tennis player? You can weigh in on the text if you've got a view, 0433981116. All thanks to Melbourne's uh, leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist, that is Asti Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Check out aste.com.au. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve. Your home of tennis. Welcome back. Great to have your company on this Monday night. Brett Phillips with you. We always talk uh, the world of tennis uh, right throughout the year, right through to the end of uh, November when the tennis season does uh, wrap up. Uh, Peter Delavadova, a name that would be familiar to a lot of tennis people uh, listening in tonight. Uh, long-time respected coach, former player, is in the studio. Brian Hamill, uh, a father of uh, a young player in uh, Zach. Brian, I should just ask you about young Zach who had a little taste of... Uh, playing up in Darwin recently, uh, you took him over to a, an ITF uh, abroad yep. as well. He's a he's a lefty. Just yep, give us a little a feel, and he's putting a lot of uh, a lot of practice well, Zach, into his, into Zach his loves tennis. It when I talk about his tennis, <laughs> he really loves it because I know I know nothing about it. So he's going to enjoy listening to me talk about his tennis right now. Um, I like the way Zach plays, in, and he's he's a very good student. My son, he's a good apprentice. He turns up to work early. He works uh, hard every day. Um, at the moment, he's got a sore foot. So he's just had an MRI scan, and I think that um, hasn't come back too good. So he's probably going to have about a month off. 
But um, no, he's really finding his way. He really likes the way he's learning from Pete and the game that they're trying to work on. Um, one thing I like about Zach is that he continues to work on his game. So it's a lot easier to um, fall back into bad habits yep. and become a grinder, whereas Zach is prepared to stick out, stick at it and just do as his boss says, basically. Otherwise, Pete would sort him out. Exactly. He, he plays, Brad, he <laughs> plays a little bit like, say, a bit old school, like Rochi or mm. someone like that who's he's got good groundies, but he's also prepared to come in and, and like use that, that slider serve and, and a volley. So, it's yeah, it's, it's a nice game. To it's a beautiful game when people are coming in, uh, oh, Pete. Yeah. Carlos yeah. Elker is the world number one who can bully yeah. you from the baseline, but got the crisp uh, fitter of hands when he comes in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the future. Let's talk about the pro space. So, yep. Brian, you had some uh, great points in our sort of uh, pre-chat about what you've experienced so far. And we've got the Australian Pro Tour going on at the moment. So we've been to Darwin. We've been to uh, Cairns. Uh, we're in Playford uh, this week in SA. We'll be to Sydney and then to Relgan to round out uh, the summer. But you've also experienced taking Zach uh, abroad. You've observed Europe. You've observed yep. the United States and what we're doing here Everything outside of the Australian Open. I'd love you to share some of those observations and where you well, think uh, I'm we're not, at. I'm not going to probably win a lot of friends here, but um, Australia is like amateur hour. So over in America, the tournaments are just, they run smoothly. Um, there's heaps of people there. They've got sponsors. They've got music. They've got things to listen to. You go to Europe, you play tournaments. There's bars there so people can have a beer. They can have dinner. They come and watch some really good tennis. Like we're in France and the number one French junior that won the French Open, he was playing at the same Futures event. So people come out, they see the best junior player in the world, a French junior player in the world, and yep. um, it's a really good and afternoon. You know? as well. Whereas over here, I just find there's nothing exciting about these tournaments. These players work so hard every day, and they get paid nothing. And um, I think something has to change, seriously, because the tournaments can be so much more. Um, I've sent emails to Tennis Australia finding out why we can't have more of these Futures tournaments and nobody can answer me. And if we can go to tournaments anywhere in a, around the world where they're playing it every week yep. and for Australia to say we don't want to do that or we can't do that, I think that's useless and I think um, something has to happen. So I'm not here to say Tennis Australia are doing a bad thing. I think Tennis Australia do a lot, but Pete's going to talk about that there's a huge gap between junior tennis and um, and challenges and in that gap there my son and a lot of other players are falling in there and um, it's so hard to get out without money and if we're playing these tournaments where they're not getting enough prize money there's not enough tournaments and players have to travel like even us we had to travel to Darwin and um, why why go to Darwin yes the stadium was fantastic but there's no crowds there there's no one there most of the players that traveled to Darwin the player from Melbourne or Sydney hmm. um, I just don't get it it costs a fortune. It costs us like 250 bucks a night in accommodation. We could play the same future in Ballarat and there'll be $80 a night. Like these players seriously have no money, yet we're making them travel all the way around Australia and all the way around the world to try and earn an ATP point. ATP points can be earned here in Australia if we had the right people run the show and we don't have the right people. So, so Pete, simple. this is something we've discussed on our shows. That maybe we suffer from the Australian Open syndrome, right? We've got one of the four majors... It is an incredible event. It's gone up tenfold every year, the whole precinct of uh, Melbourne Park. But everything else to do with tennis in the pro space is very much off-Broadway. 
It really is. And the Australian Open is absolutely the number one best event you can possibly imagine. TA do it so well. And they even help. This is where they help our best juniors. They they get the best juniors in Australia. They get to hit with the best players in the world. I know that through TA, Matthew was able to train with Novak, um, players of that caliber, because that's how they do the system. So TA ticked that box and they do it really well. It's, it's as good as anywhere mm, in the world. No doubt. But the, the problem is, is that if you look at the numbers, out of all the players that train and, and I mean train, I mean we're talking about, you know, between four hours a day, then you've got your rehab, you've got your conditioning, the whole lot. There's so many players in Australia, men and women, that train so hard and there are less than 11 people, male and female, able to make ends meet. Now, when you look at that, I struggle with that. I look at it and I go, wow, there are so few people that actually can make any money out of this game from Australia, out of a country that has a major. And I find it difficult to understand that at this entry level, which is the biggest tour, which is the Futures Tour or the ITF event, whatever you want to call them, the old satellites, that when you are, when you are talking about between 250 in the world all the way thousands because we're talking about 260 oh sorry 2600 people might be with one point but then you've also got all the people that travel that haven't got points that is enormous circuit and for Australians to have to travel overseas for the amount of time particularly given how much it's changed over the years because now you can leave Australia and you can't guarantee to get in, whereas it used to be the case. If you left Australia, you you got a chance to get beaten. Yep. Now that's that's not the issue anymore, and that's why parents will have to look closely at, well, are you going to take a risk, which is exactly the same thing that happened. Would parents make, take a risk and travel all the way to Darwin or Cairns with, without the guarantee that you're going to get in? I think the fact that we have smaller tournaments, like we've got 32 draws, but then we have small qualifying, that's no good for entry level. That 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 really does hurt the players and the players' development because them getting blooded into tournaments, that's how we find where the where the raw you know the the rough diamonds are. We we can't just pick and say these ones are the highest ranked players in the age. We'll, we'll pick, you know, between fifteen and twenty three. Let's pick the top seventeen boys, seventeen girls, and let's put our eggs in the one basket. We'll fund them. There are a lot of rough diamonds out there. We we, we could go through a lot of them. You know, Pat Raft is a good example. Mm. You know, you could go through players. We really need we need to look at it because the world has changed dramatically in the last couple of years. That's why I go overseas every year. You look at it and you go, wow, this is it's never been more difficult to make a living coming from Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so um, conscious of time, but if we if you had a blank canvas to both of you here, and Brian, you're in business. You know how business works. How how would you set it up ideally? The tree, the pyramid, if you like, for kids in Australia to have any chance or a greater pool of Australian players who have got an aspiration to be a professional tennis player to give them a better chance to make it? Um, I would firstly put people in charge at Tennis Australia that have lived a tennis life. So instead of people that have um, gone to school and learned how to run a business 
or somebody who has done a degree in something, I would want to see people in charge in Tennis Australia that have actually played this so they can understand why these players give up and understand what, what the biggest struggles are. We, we send emails and we try and speak to people at Tennis Australia and they just give us lame-ass excuses all the time and it's just pathetic. So the first thing I would choose to do would probably be get rid of most of the people in Tennis Australia and put in people that actually care about the players and care about the sport. That will be my first thing. And then I'll put Pete in charge to do the rest. Because <laughs> he knows his stuff. Okay. Yeah, well, okay. Good well, on you, Brian. Well, no, yeah. no, I okay. appreciate your candidness, no, no, but yeah. there is a lot of passion. And there's, yeah. uh, and Pete, happy for you to jump in here because you and Brian obviously talk a lot and have a lot of uh, well, dialogue. Pete talks a lot. I just listen to Pete. Yeah, and, and we know that <laughs> and, and we know that Tennis Australia has become a, a massive organisation. I don't know the exact number of staff. It's somewhere around that five, six hundred, maybe seven hundred. Mark, some are just working on the Australian Open and they're bigger events and there are the others who are at the coalface of the, um, the the development and the growth of the game uh, here. So, you know, some people say to me, well, they're in a, on a rock and a hard place at times, very hard to please uh, everyone. But there are, there's enough people that say to me, there are some clear fundamental things that are wrong that we need to fix, but they haven't been fixed. We keep it's not sort hard of, to fix. Mm. It's not hard to fix, is it, Pete? No. It's not hard no. to fix. No, it's, it's not hard to fi- it's not hard to fix, and and and, and we're just- here to try and make a solution, not not just come out and go. Yep. you know, this is the problems. We want to. We've worked it out, and Pete has especially. So, I mean, I just trying as quick as I possibly can. I do believe that um, geographically, if you look where we are, we can't compare ourselves to America that has what three hundred thirty million or or beyond. That you know they they run forty or fifty. Futures tournaments. They've got all the. They've got. You don't have to leave America to be able to become a top professional. Europe. um, We we can't compare ourselves with France, Germany, Belgium, Holland. All of them. We can't because you just jump in a car and you can drive a couple of hours and you're in another country. We can't do that. So we have to look. We have to look in Australia at making it happen. If if certain countries out there that can actually run a lot of tournaments, a proper circuit. Um, I think that we really have to do look at that just for the just for the sake of of tennis players in Australia. Given what they're going through, more tennis players in Australia. We we, we retire much earlier than the average, and because most players in Australia retire for two reasons: one, they either their parents run out of money, or the guilt gets them. Mm. They retire because of guilt, because they know the sacrifices that their family and their parents are putting up and that guilt kills them. And I could, there are so many players when I go to a tournament and I see it. And that's why I say, I look at players and I go, wow, they are just hanging in there because they've got this dream. But what happens is that they know that they haven't got the money. They just haven't got the money to keep at it. Now, that there is no doubt at all that we need a better system in Australia. Here, no and doubt, that, and that system is for um, qualifiers. Yep. So, so, so the first thing I the first thing I do, Brett, is we've got it. UTR is going to mean something more than what it is at the moment. We need to be able to have something. Now, let's just say a rough figure. If we if we if we decided that we made ten. A, a, a UTR of 10, you are guaranteed to get into pre-qualies. That means every single person who plays tennis in Australia knew that if you got to a UTR of 10, you were going to be involved in any pro event 
any future that is in Australia. So in pre-qualities. So that's just, that's like a guarantee so that then you go, right, okay, now the UTR means something. Then we do set up. Now, okay, it might mean that we have a venue for maybe one or two more days, but the reality is, is that it's a clear pathway. That means that you do get a chance and that's what's been taken away. I could take players away overseas, but if they don't have ATP points, there's a very good chance they won't get to play. We need to slip in a break. Uh, We'll come back with more of this discussion. Thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching. It's at Eagle Mont Tennis Club. It's just off the Eastern Freeway. Junior and adult programs available. Shane Scrutney is a great supporter of our show. 30 years coaching experience. Yarratennis.com.au if you're a beginner, if you're a seasoned player, Shane will... Uh, look after you. We'll come back and uh, round out our chat. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Racing through a Monday night, I need to give a quick plug to the Victoria Tennis Cup Carnival. It's a new event for 12, 14 and 16-year-olds we played over the Melbourne Cup weekend. So this weekend, uh, with the John Newcomb Tennis Academy in Texas as the main sponsor, all players are playing a minimum of four matches and six will win a week at Nukes as part of an organised trip in 2023. It's a $25,000 prize pool including the chance to win a free college placement service. Sarah Ball will be our guest on the show next week. We'll duck out and have a look at the finals, the first serve uh, next uh, Monday. So you can uh, register. In fact, I think you've got up until about 11.30 tonight, the Waverley Eastern Region and Northeastern Junior uh, Tennis Associations. Peter Delavadova, Brian Hamill, my special guest in the studio. All right, clock's on, uh, Pete. Uh, Brian, anything you want to get across in the last uh, few minutes? Because I know you've come loaded with stuff uh, tonight. A couple of things to uh, to finish off our our discussion. Um, no, but what, what we're thinking about is um, these tournaments. We, we can create these futures tournaments. We can make it easier for players to get into qualifying. We'll make it a guarantee for people to get into qualifying if the UTR is over 10. These tournaments, uh, we want to get some backing. We want people to put their money where their mouth is. We want to have these tournaments create a bit of atmosphere. Well, I think we can make a, a Tier 3 tennis tournament where people can walk in there, enjoy themselves, have a saucy sizzle, have a, you know, um, play on a jumping castle, have a little bit of music. We can get the, the local ball kids to pick up the balls for us. We can get um, chair umpires. I think we just need to do something for these players because I feel for them. The way they work every day and the amount of respect that gets shown here in Australia it's and even across the world, like they're just, they're just used as pawns really. Like it's um, – I want these players to get the recognition they are. I, I watched a lot of tennis – when I've been travelling this year, and the tennis is so close to like ATP tennis, it's not funny. Like, I don't want to get into the spe- um, specifics of it, but I know that the tennis level is crazy. Like, we watched Dane Sweeney up in Darwin, um, then we saw Omar Jaseka the next week, and yep. well, these guys are so cool. And Dane, like, he blew me away the way he moved on the court. And I tell you, he's one player I'd love to see kick on. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you close your eyes, it's like watching Alex Demon. I'd like to know if Dane Sweeney. I'd like to know if Dane Sweeney has kept the crocodile mm. stuffed crocodile he got for his Darwin win. That was his trophy, <laughs> the stuffed crocodile. Yep. So you're, you're talking <laughs> an, an Australian tour. Yep. Underneath for Play, those who are trying week. to get established every before week, so they've got can, to leave to go overseas. So they I can actually build up a kitty of money without having to go AT, too far. You can get ATP points here. You can get a, a pool of money. And you can once you get, get ready enough ATP points, you can move to challenges over the, on the other side of the world. That's what we want to do. We can do it here. If we can do it, if Africa and places like that can do it, 
I'm pretty sure as hell Australia can do it. So that's that's the interesting dynamic, isn't it, Pete? How do you get the balance of all that right? Because I, I don't disagree with that, right? No. To give more Australians a chance to ply their trade here yep. to establish themselves before they take off on the global stage. But it is a sport where you need to go and test yourself on the global stage as well. So. Yep. Currently, we've got what, about 19 yep. events in Australia, yep. which is not a lot in the We'll get a lot of international players here because it's similar like we've got to travel to we, – we want to try and earn an ATP point, so you're going to go to where the weaker draw is. I would consider Australia could be a weaker draw, so people on the other side of the world could come to Australia to play these tournaments. I don't think it would be weak for that long. I think the, the standard of tennis would – Yep, yep. I, think, yep. I, I think the biggest thing that, that – um, we really need, if we want strength, is to be able to have a tour that, say, for example, um, October, November, December, um, you finish early before Christmas and then you have um, uh, in January, February and March. And so, you know, you might have that week, a week off where you've got the Australian Open, that first week of the Australian Open, because that's when all the players tend to um, want to go and watch the Australian Open in particular. But I do think that there's about six months where we should have a really good amount of $15,000 futures, entry-level futures that give every Australian an opportunity to being able to get a ticket to be able to go overseas. If they're not good enough, I think that they should stay in Australia. But if they do, if they are good enough with that many chances to be able to pick up points, then they can travel. But I think that because it is a global game, you do need to travel overseas. There's no doubt. I, I, I can't see how we can get away with that. But I, I I feel that if an Australian player can't can't get into tournaments in Australia and they can't get into tournaments overseas, yep. they just will retire. They'll just stop. I feel like we might need to do a part two, maybe yep. even a part three. <laughs> I'll just finish with this uh, text from uh, Yvonne. In fact, the first time she's ever sent a text into SCN. I've been involved in tennis administration for 40 years. TA are only interested in the success of the Australian Open. They do not care about grassroots tennis, hashtag known fact. I mean, we hate to put everyone in the one basket of such a big organisation, but Yvonne, you're entitled uh, to your opinion. Uh, we are here thanks to Yonex, 76 years of performance product crafted in Japan. Check out their latest range at yonex.com. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do, Brian. You put a lot into that. We'll uh, we'll publish something on our website as well, across our socials. Let's keep the lines of communication open. Everyone who listens to this show is passionate about the health of Australian tennis and only wants uh, the best, and that's why we have a platform here to be able to do that. So I appreciate both of you coming well, thank in. Thank you, Brett. Yeah, you do thanks a great job too, here, mate. Brett. We'll have to get out to Wonga Park. And yes, mate, come on out. Park there we do free sausage sizzles every oh. Saturday at the club, so <laughs> come am, on out, Brett. I should come do a sausage with onion you. on top of the sausage. <laughs> we'll do it again next Monday, 8 o'clock. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.